This is The Rush on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hey, welcome back. It's Mark Tui in for Rush Me Nair on The Rush on this final show before Christmas time. It is 4.05, and that must mean it is time to convene the Entertainment Court. Order in the Entertainment Court. Let's get judgy. Court is now in session. Judge Krauss, are you all ready for Christmas? Uh, yes, I am. And in fact, in about uh, one hour, I'll be really ready for Christmas. <laughs> I'm almost done for the day. There you go. Well, Ben Harrison and I are here. What is our first case? So over the pandemic, we saw a few high-profile musicals underperform at the box office. That's West Side Story, Dear Evan Hansen, and In the Heights failed to put a song on moviegoers' uh, lips. And suddenly, a form that had entertained movie audiences for 90 years was seen as a liability. So much so that Hollywood Insider magazine Deadline declared that the studios, like the ones releasing the recent Wonka and The Color Purple, wrote that the studios are trying to disguise the singing and dancing in trailers and advertisements. This is what Deadline said. Test audience focus groups generally hate musicals and the only way to get people into the theater with one is to trick them. So my question to you is, are musicals on your naughty list? I like musicals in live theater. I mm. hate musicals on the silver <laughs> screen. It just isn't as engaging. Musicals and action movies are two of the most, uh, they're the purest expressions of cinema we have. There's nothing like seeing a big song and dance number on the screen. It takes you not just in the theater seat, but on stage with these performers. There's nothing like it. Musicals are some of the best movies there are. Here's my verdict. Of course, you are free to like or dislike musicals, and I have to admit, for many years, I was not a fan. I found them artificial and could never figure out why people would suddenly burst into song. But I've had an epiphany. Turns out I don't hate musicals, I just hated Les Miserables. Since then, I've come to appreciate the all-dancing, all-singing spectacles for their medicinal properties. The world is upside down right now, and you know what can make you feel good? Tap dancing. Someone staring at the camera and singing as a chorus of background warblers back them. It's not real life. It's larger than life. And often it has a good beat and you can dance to it, which feels like a good alternative to the bad news we're bombarded by on our dumpster fire social media sites these days. Movie musicals like Wonka provide an escape, a ticket to a place where everything can be solved with a song. It's not real life, but for a couple of hours in a theater, it feels like a great place to be. And I, for one, don't need to be tricked into going to a musical to escape for a little while. And that is my verdict. Judge Krause, what is your second case? Recently, Scott Derrickson, the film director behind hit films like The Exorcism of Emily Rose, Sinister, Doctor Strange, and The Black Phone, tweeted, It's that time of year again when I say bleep your worst films list. Now, he didn't use the word bleep, but you get the idea. On the other side, a film writer shot back, lists kind of suck, but the, quote, it's hard to make a movie, be nice thing, is awful. That attitude is for your children, not for judgment of an artistic work. The raging debate online continues between those who want both naughty and nice lists. So my question to you is, should we celebrate the worst films alongside the best ones? 
You know, you can't have good movies without bad movies. So bad movie lists are fine by me, especially when they tend to provoke the best conversations. Usually, you know, uh, the, the, the best movies of the year, those are great conversations. The worst movies of the year, that's where the fun begins. I guess you can't tell what's good unless you've seen something worse. <laughs> but, uh, I, I don't know. It depends on what you mean by worst movies. I mean, there are some great bad movies, and then there's a mm-hmm. whole bunch of movies. I mean, the worst list to be on would be on no list at all, in between that nobody even remembers was made. So I suppose if you can't be on the best list, being on the worst list would be second best. Here's my verdict. I always make a best of list for ctvnews.ca, but in recent years, I haven't made a worst movies list. I stand firm behind my belief that nobody sets out to make a bad movie. So when it does happen, and believe me, there's a lot of bad movies released every year. That's why my slogan is, I watch bad movies so you don't have to. And it's not that I don't have uh, some kind of sweet, sweet burns when it comes to some of the lowlights of the year, but I don't believe in kicking people or movies when they're down. When the movies are released, I review them fairly, and sometimes the reviews aren't complimentary. That's my job. Part consumer advocate, part film critic. But my reviews are never personal. That's an attack, not a review, and making up a worst of list feels personal to me. Feels like rubbing salt into the wound, so I don't do it. There are so many movies released each year, so I choose to celebrate the good stuff to shine a light on movies that I enjoyed and hope that my audience will as well. If you need some snark, all my reviews are still available at ctvnews.ca and richardkraus.ca. And that's my verdict. I'm going to go dumpster diving on your richardkraus.ca to find the nastiest reviews now. (laughs) What is our next case, Judge Kraus? Well, Randy Bachman and Burton Cummings have filed a lawsuit against two of their former bandmates, alleging they have assembled a, quote, cover band to perform and release albums under the Guess Who name. The band officially broke up in 1975, though a cover band organized by bassist Kim uh, or Jim uh, Kale and drummer Gary Peterson have toured and recorded under the Guess Who name since 1978, often performing without any original band members on stage. But Lawyers for Kale and Peterson say the band have been using the name for decades and claim their former bandmates have waited too long to file the trademark suit. They argue the statute of limitations has uh, expired. In their original suit, Bachman and Cummings say that in 1986, Kale registered the Guess Who name as a trademark in the United States without their knowledge or consent. They are seeking in excess of $20 million in damages for false advertising, a violation of uh, the right of publicity, and unfair competition. So my question to you is, without Randy Bachman or uh, Burton Cummings, are you actually getting the Guess Who? This, I think, is why bands need good lawyers, because uh, (laughs) I suspect they're quite right. Trademark law, if you don't defend it, you lose it. And the fact that they weren't aware it was registered in the United States is kind of on them, because it all had to be gazetted, and they had equal opportunity with anybody else to protest. I think you snooze, you lose. See, without Randy uh, Bachman or Burton Cummings, this just isn't the band to me. There's something to the soul of a band when certain members are there and a part of it, and without them, it's it's not the same thing. So I, I, I don't think they should be touring behind the Guess Who name. 
Well, here's my verdict. There are no members of the vintage of the Guess Who, or there are no bands, rather, of the vintage of the Guess Who who have survived intact. When the Rolling Stones hit the road next year, they'll do so with only two original members, and the Beach Boys is down to Mike Love and longtime but non-original sideman Bruce Johnson. So why not the Guess Who? Here's why. When you think of the Rolling Stones, you think of Mick Jagger and Keith Richard, who will both be front and center for this upcoming tour. When you think of the Guess Who, the first names that jump to your mind are probably not Jim Cale or Gary Peterson. That's not to take away from their abilities. Both are good players and were there in the Guess Who's early days and their prime years. But it feels disingenuous to market a band as the Guess Who without the distinctive vocals and piano of Burton Cummings and the singular guitar work of Randy Bachman. At best, you're paying to see a cover band, and while they may sound like the original band, they are at best a faded image of the original. Jim Cale owns the name, the Guess Who, and is legally allowed to use it, but the in the spirit of transparency, they should probably advertise themselves as the new Guess Who, or Guess Who's in the Guess Who, or something like that, some other name that doesn't mislead ticket buyers. And that is my verdict. Coming soon, the bride of Guess Who, 2.0. That's right. <laughs> Richard Krause, thank you so much for another uh, stirring rendition of the Entertainment Court. I hope you have a wonderful uh, Christmas uh, weekend, and we'll probably talk with you next week. Absolutely. Talk to you next Friday. Have a great Christmas, Mark. Ben Harrison, thank you for uh, co-juring. Thank you. I think conjuring, co-juring. Anyway, uh, the rush will return in the moment with this question. Who sleeps in your bed at night? Uh You're listening to The Rush on the iHeartRadio Talk Network.